Lee, and uh, thanks for coming on uh, the Press Gazette podcast. Pleasure. Uh, long-time rival of mine, a long-time admirer of what you've done, and uh, I'm certainly going to miss it, because we're, we're interviewing you as you, as you um, sort of stepped down after um, just over 10 years blogging about the media. Yes, last blog will be on the 31st of January, um, and that will be ten and a half years since I started. Uh, and um, when all good things come to an end and all of that, but uh, I think it's a natural end. Um, it comes just as I pass my 70th birthday. Um, it comes at a, an interesting time, I think, for all uh, journalism, particularly at The Guardian, um, where I think resources are stretched, where, as we know, there have been enormous losses for successive years, and it ill behoves somebody who spends their days uh, recording the difficulties facing journalism to hang on when you can see that your own employer uh, is in trouble. That doesn't mean that I'm losing my relationship with The Guardian, because I'm going to write, I hope, a monthly column and odd bits of analysis. Um, but as for the daily blog, uh, which has been an absolute pleasure to do, that is the end. So you've been writing about the media since 1992 for The, for the Guardian, yes. with a brief period, a few months at The Telegraph, and then um, online um, uh, you know, for the last 10 and a half years. So how, how did it come about, the blog? Because it was something quite different and quite new uh, for, for British journalism when it came along, didn't it? Wasn't yeah, it? well, I had lunch with the then editor, um, Alan Rusbridger, uh, with whom I'd had a uh, good relationship in the previous years. Uh, and he said, look, I'd like you to come and do something very different. Um, you, I'd like you to be the British Romanesco. He's referring to Joe Romanesco, who's run, uh, ran uh, for a long time uh, a blog in the States, which was a mixture of telling people what was about in... Uh, they have so much more sort of academic journalism there, um, and pointing to stories and so on. But um, I guess uh, I was, that was a fantastic thing to do, and the most important thing was he said, um, I expect you to self-publish. This won't go through the subs. This won't go through any checks beyond those that you feel are necessary for legal reasons. Um, and you write away. Some days you'll do two things, and some days you'll do ten things, and... Um, form a good relationship with your online boss, who was then a man called Steve Busfield, um, and, uh, and his staff, particularly uh, must commend um, Jason Deans, who took over from him, and I, I think it was you know, probably the, the best workmate I could ever have had. Um, and it meant that I sort of felt part of the team, but at the same time massively free. So, and I remember to begin with, and, and to a certain extent, even now, it's sort of a, a mixture, isn't it, of uh, sort of uh, aggregating things from other areas and adding your slant on it, and uh, your opinion as well. And like you say, sometimes doing like sort of six, seven uh, things a day. Um, do you think that sort of blog um, uh, has had its day? I mean, the blog, obviously, all we talked about ten years ago were blogs, and we don't hear much about them now. I mean, it's slightly... the. the, the slightly changed, but what do, you, what do you think? Well, actually, that blog uh, in its ten years changed dramatically. If I look back to the blogs that I did at the beginning, they tended to be um, rapid aggregations. Mm. Um, and 
I developed um, longer pieces gradually. Um, and I think nowadays uh, I concentrate on doing at least one subject a day at length, and then perhaps the rest is largely aggregation. Uh, but I set myself also a task to try and record um, the deaths of journalists abroad to ensure that uh, here we are in a relatively free country, a very free country when you compare it to countries around the world. And our journalists, however much they might complain about threats to press freedom, face no threats to their lives in the way that journalists do. So I've seen that as a major part of my task. So I try and record the pressures on journalists in countries uh, where there are dictatorships and where there's no press freedom as, as, as the, the major sort of second string to writing about the state of journalism in Britain. And you also do that, being good at doing that thing, I think, uh, that it's difficult when you're writing about a sort of B2B, almost B2B type audience, is being uh, kind of forthright and quite punchy without upsetting people so much that they'll never ever talk to you. I mean, uh, do you, do you, do you, in, uh, have you found the kind of writing about journalists? I mean, personally, I found that uh, journalists are the worst people in the world to write a negative story about. They can't understand why you would ever do it, but... How have, you, how have you found it? Well, I, I find, and uh, right from the beginning of doing this, right back to 1992 when I started, um, I found that journalists, editors, owners, are the thinnest-skinned people in the world. Uh, some of them, uh, amazingly, issue legal threats. And I think to myself uh, how disgraceful that is, that... Um, they should reach for libel laws, which then they complain about being an inhibition to their own freedom. Um, in fact, I haven't had any writs over the ten years. Um, threats of writs, certainly, and um, uh, some big complaints from Ireland uh, as well, uh, which is another area I've covered more than I think anyone else has in this country. Um, because I think it's an amazing, apart from the fact that I live there half the year, I think that Ireland is a sort of uh, interesting uh, uh, field because it's the pressures on journalism in a microcosm, in a small environment with a small number of owners. I think that sets the trend of what's going to happen in the future, so that's why I've concentrated on that. But anyway, to back to the substantive point, um, and that is that... Uh, Journalists, although they are thin-skinned, also are inveterate gossips, and they can't help even those that you offend uh, coming back to you with tips, hints, gossip about somebody else. Um, so it is, uh, it is the case that most editors um, will speak to me, will return my calls, um, and some of those editors feed me discreetly on a regular basis, especially about other editors, um, which I'm sure you have uh, had in your time as well. It's an interesting, an interesting feature of life, but I think that says more about human beings than it does especially about journalism. Well, I've, I imagine it's one of the nice things about doing it for a long time is that you earn people's trust, which is the great thing about having... Uh, you know, long-serving correspondents like yourself, which you know, which I would say is a, it's a shame when they go because uh, somebody who's been doing it for a year or two will never, never have that trust. It takes, you know, for some people, it probably takes decades before they really, before they really trust you. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the most important thing is that, of course, all those sources 
uh, have to trust me. And those sources speak to each other, and they, they, you know, they obviously say, you know, is Greenslade trustworthy or not? Can we leak to him in the certainty that he'll cover us up? And, um, and I do, um, and uh, I would only ever uh, break source confidentiality if somebody told me a lie. And to my knowledge, no one has ever told me a lie. They might spin me. Mm -hmm but they, um, most of the time, um, tell it like it is. So who's, who's the worst, been the worst for uh, complaining about things and, get, and getting on the phone as much as you can divulge that, not just over the last 10 years, but over the whole kind of period? I don't know. Uh, uh, to be absolutely honest, I know that uh, one is bound to think here of the Daily Mail. I, um, in, in fact, I suppose most complaints early on came from uh, Mail Online um, because I was constantly writing about what I thought was basically theft. Um, but Martin Clark, uh, in fairness, has really cleaned up the act on that front. Now they're very good at accrediting people. I've taken up um, cases where they don't uh, for an old photographer friend of mine whose pictures were being used and a feature writer I used when I was uh, a son assistant editor who came to me and said her feature had been stolen and so on and in fairness they've acted uh, very well um, I've had um, in the past some years ago now interesting phone calls from Paul Dacre um, I've had what we call the double C um, <laughs> word on occasion. Um, but most of the time, I think he, you know, it rolls over him as well. And I don't actually get that many complaints, except when I make errors. And I have, you know, along the way, you can't help but make errors on occasion. In fact, I think the people that don't ring you back tend to be... Um, well, NewsQuest never ring you back. You know, it, it doesn't matter whether it was this chief executive or the last one... Historically, they've, they've never returned phone calls. Trinity Mirror, much more helpful. Johnston Press, more helpful. Um, and um, so, really, the level of complaints, usually they are instantaneous. I um, make corrections. I say they've been corrected. We have a formula for that at The Guardian anyway. Um, and... Uh, I, you know, I can't, I can't really say in the level of things when I think back to when I was uh, assistant editor of The Sun and the level of complaints we got in those days, these have been minor matters. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. To be honest, and what about the uh, commenters? I mean, you'll often, uh, I'll often read one of your pieces, and then there'll be a hundred 
comments saying Roy Green says a complete and utter tosser, doesn't know what he's talking about, speaking yes. out hat, whatever, you know, bring up some other ancient history about your past, you know. Yes. What we know, do you, does, are you fairly thick skinned about? I, I think early on I realised that I could spend an awful lot of time answering that. And when I extended to um, Twitter as well, where I get some extraordinarily uh, abusive messages, um, particularly when I've touched on um, coverage of football in Scotland, I think that's been the... Uh, of all the comments I've ever had, those have been the worst because they have... Um, They've really been uh, very rude indeed. But I took it as a policy matter to not engage with those who are very rude. If there are constructive comments, I sometimes will answer them. Most of the time, by the way, when you write... Um, and like yesterday, I wrote uh, a piece about the coverage of Theresa May and there were 450 comments. Well, you'll never going to be able to deal with all of those and what's the fascinating thing about about opening up a forum like a blog is that most of the time these people are arguing with each other yeah. and um, of course I get called all sorts of names and I think you just you know a dinosaur that's the one yeah. that's the one that's the regular one like I can't know anything because I'm of a certain age but I I think um, most of the time it's it's kind of acceptable and you know if you believe in press freedom if you believe in freedom of expression then I think you've got to let people have it in fact at the beginning Dominic when I first took this on the moderate there were no moderators um, when we introduced moderation I sometimes felt the moderators were too quick to cut people off too quick to take down their messages um, but there are very clear rules, and they stick to those rules. Sometimes I've asked the moderators, can I know what that comment was? And I would have said to them, well, you know, okay, um, they're attacking me because I happen to be an Irish Republican, for instance. Uh, well, let them say it. But they've, they've preferred to take them down. What about the challenge of um, writing about the media for one of the big media players? So the... the, the how do you keep your independence or, uh, um, you know, keep the Guardian view out of things? And also, how do you write about, you know, GMG itself? I mean, it's... Well, I've never written about GMG. I took, I took it that that would be a very uh, foolish thing to be doing. First of all, I don't think any other organisation would have given me the freedom I have had yeah. uh, to self-publish and to write about everyone without any interference. I don't think I ever had a single call or complaint from either Catherine Viner or Alan Rusbridger about what I was writing. Um, that's unique in itself. But at the same time, I thought, I know people complain, well, why don't you write about the Guardian losses? Why don't you write about GMG? But, you know, I'm just not going to. And I think I understand. I could. But I don't know what that I would say. Look, I am delighted that at least one newspaper in Britain is run by a trust. And when I complain about um, other newspapers and their profits and their whatever, I always would say, well, there is another form of ownership. It is a trust. It is, um, therefore, what I think is a more perfect form of ownership. It is more free. We are more liberal. We are... Um, and and I, there are times when I've um, taken issue with The Guardian, but I suppose, in fairness, in a vague way. Yeah, because I suppose the... Um 
the, when the Telegraph were going through their successive rounds of cuts, I, I'm pretty sure they would look at your blog and think, well, you know, the, now the Guardian's going through the cuts, why don't we get the same treatment? Though? Yes, <laughs> but those were those savage cuts which happened on a routine basis at the Telegraph, um, they, they were carried out often with, you know, a, a form of, uh, of compulsion. Um, the Guardian only ever had done it in a, a mandatory form, and they did it belatedly. Probably uh, they did it too late. Uh, they might have they might have done it earlier, but we lost. We along the way, you know, we've lost some um, great journalists, and you know, I'm sad to see Michael White go, to see Richard Norton Taylor go, uh, to see Duncan Campbell go, to see Nick Davis go. Um, uh, you know, these were uh, great ornaments uh, in, in British journalism and, um, you know, it's, it's sad to lose those people. But there are bright young people on The Guardian now and um, I'm, I'm sure it's still got a fantastically good future. What about sort of um, the coverage of the media in general? So when you, when you were um, uh, started doing this, certainly in the 90s, as far as I can remember, there used to be... A th- a lot more media coverage, isn't there? I mean, I think Loads. Most national newspapers would have a media column. Loads. And uh, now there's very little. And, and even The Guardian, as you departure shows, is scaling it back from bit from once sort of completely dominating it. Yeah. I mean, look, um, uh, we used to have The Independent uh, covering it. The Sunday Times had a regular column. Brian MacArthur's um, uh, column was, was terrific. Um, the Telegraph went in for it for a while um, and then uh, and, and dropped it. Um, and I think it's very sad that that's happened. It, it, most importantly, um, I think when the Times dropped it, it showed it how impossible it was um, to write about um, Rupert Murdoch's organisation, which sets the train for so much ha- that happens in, in Britain within the Rupert Murdoch organisation. I understand how difficult that was. I remember Brian MacArthur telling me how if he ever wrote a single word about the sun, he'd immediately get complaints from the top. Um, And, you know, that's just not feasible. The Guardian is really at one side of this whole drama. But you can't not write about the big media organisations and the biggest of all outside the BBC is Rupert Murdoch's organisation. So holding each other to account was always a great idea, I thought. And I, you know, I mean, I used to remember battling away against Stephen Glover, who wrote, you know, he writes an entertaining column. It's now in the oldie every month. <coughs> I always read it. Um, I, I thought Ian Burrell was great at The Independent. I thought Ray Snoddy, when he did it, was, was terrific. Um, it's not as if I've not appreciated what other people have done. Uh, certainly uh, the opposite. Um, so I think we, what we've seen is the rise of new media and the decline of old media commentators. That's unfortunate because I think the media is so powerful. Uh, we in the media are the only ones who can hold media to account. And that's why I regret that there's not more analysis, more commentating. The, with the sort of, um... By the way, I think one of the problems is that some editors and they've told me this, genuinely feel, and they may be right, that the general reader is not interested and that we are writing for each other. Now, there may be something to that, but I still feel that the public need to know what's going on in the media. Yeah. I think if you look at um, 
stuff that aerates people on Facebook and Twitter is generally uh, the latest outrage from the Daily Mail or the Sun, isn't it? Which gets people gets people sent to be about to do Lally, which suggests they kind of they are rather, they are quite interested in it. I they are. I mean, I think they are, but I think it, you know it, the problem always is uh, you know we can write day after day after day about the content of the Sun and the Mail, and maybe that's counterproductive to just do that all the time. I mean, the, um, the, one of the things about blogging is there's sort of need to have an instant opinion on everything, uh, or f- a fairly instant opinion on, it, on, on everything. Uh, have there been any sort of pieces that you've uh, rather regretted with hindsight? You thought, well, actually, uh, now I've thought about that a little bit um, and uh, forced you to sort of change your view. Yeah, I mean, I suppose when you do write daily and you're... It's a bit like being the man in the bar, isn't it? You know, you, when you leave the bar, you think, I don't know... Should I have said that? But uh, and and so on. I don't think there have been any massively great regrets. And certainly, you know, I've, I've changed my mind about things along the way. Um, I think it is impossible. You know, as someone said, when the facts change, I change my mind. Um, I think that's happened. And I think that although right from the beginning, and really, my blog was born out of the digital revolution. I think that digital revolution has changed too. When I started my blog, there was no Twitter. When I started my blog, Facebook was in its absolute infancy, as was YouTube. And these things have changed the dynamic considerably, so that we now have people who set themselves up as critics of MSM, mainstream media, or old media as they call it, and I feel that that's changed how I compete, uh, or at least how I answer back to them. Um, because I do feel that although I have tended to say we're in the foothills of the digital revolution, um, I'm wondering now whether we've moved up towards the peak. It's impossible to know. But, you know, as soon as you say that, um, the infancy of Twitter, the infancy of what's happened, uh, Instagram and Pinterest and all sorts of things that we'd never have conceived in the past... Um, means that round the corner there could be yet a new, you know, 3.0, 4.0, 5.0 that you can't really forecast. Yeah, I mean, well, the sort of last question we were going to ask you: What do you think? How do you feel about the future? The future of the industry now? Somebody's obviously still got a big stake, stake in it as somebody who's involved in uh, you know, journalism education and sending these people out, these young lions out into the uh, into the world. Yeah, um, I mean, I, just before coming to do this interview, I was discussing with um, one of my colleagues here uh, the teaching of our next cohort of uh, undergraduates and um, discussing the history of journalism and uh, and and. The, and so on, and and you realise then, and it's undeniable, um, that there is a big change in the expectation of students, and a big change in what they are, are going to do in future. The old the old ways of moving on and so on have all changed. And I say to my postgrad students every year at the beginning of the year. It is the best of times and it is the worst of times. The best of times because there are amazingly unlimited, unknowable opportunities. The worst of times because if you think you're coming into this to get a career in print journalism um, or even in broadcasting, it isn't going to be the way it was. There's no job for life um, and there is no certainty 
that print newspaper is going to be around. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to put a date on it, and I am not going to say what's going to be next, but it strikes me that at least two national newspapers are likely to go to the wall within five years. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking um, of the Express, uh, 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 for instance, um, and I'm wondering also about the Daily Star, and I'm wondering whether, even in spite, if there can be some kind of rapprochement between um, uh, Richard Desmond and Trinity Mirror, um, that really whether they are savable and sometimes day on day I happen to like Hugh Whitto who is the editor of the Daily Express I worked with him on the Daily Star many years ago he's an absolutely lovely man um, but he produces a completely uh, useless kind of newspaper it's irrelevant politically it doesn't carry any weight it just splashes on house prices the weather uh, day after day and it appears to me not to, and the inside pages are nothing, it doesn't break any particular scoops, although the Sunday Express did have a couple of royal scoops, I'll admit, a couple of months ago. Um, but um, what function has it? What function um, have these newspapers? They're not it's not holding power to account. It is acting as a kind of, I suppose, bulletin board and propaganda sheet for UKIP. So um, I don't, didn't wish to launch a massive attack on one newspaper in particular. But it does seem to me, whatever one's critical of the Daily Mail, this is still a newspaper. It's still trying. It still breaks things. It still has an investigative team. Whatever one says about um, uh, Paul Dacre, and I've said plenty, I have to say, I think the guy is a remarkable journalist and runs a journalistic team and ensures that there's investment in journalism and all praise to him for that. Um, and I feel, although the mirror's been run down terribly, that Lloyd Embley's a trier, although, you know, he works too far too tight uh, um, uh, an editorial budget, forced on him by the fact that, uh, basically, um, the chief executive has to satisfy investors, uh, which itself is a, is a terrible problem, because you've got to keep improving profits at all the time, at a time when the whole business is not profitable. So, there's problems to come. And I, in, with, b before I um, finally say goodbye to this world, there will be fewer print newspapers. That worries me, though. Let me finish on this. Yeah. Why does it worry me? Because right now, those newspapers, ailing as they are, in such a bad way that they are, are still holding the national conversation day after day, setting the political and social agenda, and having power, having influence. And what happens when they go to the wall? Um, we're left with a couple of newspapers. That gives too much power to the owners and editors of those newspapers, and it also means that um, people are let down, because right now, no blog, and I'm saying this as I give up my blog, no blog anywhere, no start-up, none of those funny little titles which are uh, holding, you know, do it, acting for local communities and think that they can be regulated by impress. None of those are setting the agenda and none of those are holding power to account. And so what worries me is a journalism in the future which is not carrying out the mission uh, that in my lifetime has been their main job.
Well, that's a good point to end. Thank you, Roy. Uh, and thank you for all the blogs and columns. I've thoroughly enjoyed them. Well, thank you. Some more. thank you for the competition, Dominic. <laughs> Thanks, a pleasure. <laughs>